Ah, another day, another pre-drawn dive, pre-dawn drive. I'm going to work before the sun's up. <laughs> Excuse me. Tried recording this yesterday on the drive home, and I just ended up rambling a whole bunch. So, sorry for the delay. Hey guys, it's Graham. What cracketh upon thee? Uh, got a piece of listener mail from Clyde at uh, Zero Stone something or other. There were there were numbers involved in the username on Instagram. Slid right into those DMs and wanted to know if I saw the trailer for that new Lord of the Rings show on the Amazon machine. I did see it. My thoughts are that I don't care. Um, I anything that I could really say about it would just be belaboring the point that I've made elsewhere and uh, has been echoed by others who have said it louder and more clearly, especially if you follow Critical Drinker on YouTube. Uh, language warning for his videos because he is a drunk Scotsman. But uh, the short version is this. Um, I don't trust Amazon to handle it right, especially when they've like explicitly said that they're going to inject modernism into it they they don't care about the source material they don't care about the product that was built by a man who has insanely more talent than they've got um, this is a man who built a language built a world then built a story and at every turn they could have done the right thing as far as keeping you know Christopher Tolkien was he, he was opposed to the move. Tom Shippey, the Tolkien scholar, they yeeted him off the set. They're, they want to adapt the Tolkien brand, but they, they don't want the actual Tolkien product. They want to do their own thing. And uh, if you are familiar with the books from The Wheel of Time, and then you saw the show from The Wheel of Time that Amazon made, like there's no clearer example than that. Of, of how they're going to handle Tolkien. Um, they're just going to butcher it. They're going to make it quote-unquote modern. And uh, they don't give a damn about the story. I am delving more and more into actual Tolkien right now. Uh, my wife and I just finished watching the Peter Jackson trilogy. Not the extended version. Just the regular version. I need to get the extended version. I think I got like a 3DVD set when they were all on sale a couple of years ago, but uh, especially with Return of the King, the uh, the stuff that they had to leave out for the sake of runtime becomes really, really apparent, and the back half of that movie is just so dense. It's like, okay, we won the Battle of the Pelennor, and uh, we better hurry over to Mordor. And like, it's I, I get why they had to. It was it was technical constraints. It wasn't because of any modernism or idealism or anything like that. But we just finished that trilogy, and uh, next month I'm going to listen to Two Towers. Um, I've got all three of the, uh, well, all four of the Andy Serkis narrations. Excuse me. And um, this month I'm going to listen to Baron and Luthien for the first time. I've just decided to get more into the, the other works that Tolkien wrote and that his son edit, edited and published. Um, and just delve into what I love about it and I'm just going to ignore the rest um, I'm not even going to like oh watch it to see if they got it right no I, I am done giving these people the benefit of the doubt 
after watching episode seven of the book of Boba Fett, it was, man, that was just like the time that I sat in the theater, uh, for Transformers four thinking, Oh, you know, Transformers one was fine. Transformers two was bad. Transformers 3 was better, so the arc of progress bends towards Michael Bay finally making good Transformers. No, no, he doesn't care. He's uh, he's gonna do his thing. Um, you know, <laughs> that movie had contractually obligated written all over it, and he's selling toys. And uh, I need to stop expecting certain people to care about telling a good story. They're just going to do whatever the hell they want to do with it. Uh, it was disappointing that Book of Boba Fett ended that poorly because it was written by the guy who did Mando 1 and 2. You, you, you know that they can do better. Why did they do this? Um, I wrote about that on dreadpennies.com. As of this posting, it's the most recent article on the top of the website. Um, what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it, but... I think the uh, the greater value in that part that post comes from basically I, I rewrite the the series. I do six episodes and kind of do a synopsis of how they could have done it better. And uh, that realization, I think, is is what's helping me to pull back from these legacy properties that I've loved in the past and that have been good in the past, but are just being handled by mega corporations that think that they can buy the audience because they bought the brand and they're ignoring the substance of what makes it good or interesting. Um, that is why I'm getting more into uh, the indies. I'm going to give a plug right here for www.upstreamreviews.com. I think I'm looking at a deer walking in the shadows up ahead. Do not hit a deer with the Durango. <laughs> Durango. <laughs> I'm tired. Upstreamreviews.com. That is where you'll find uh, reviews and recommendations for good novels. But we're also, uh, you know, there, there are some movie reviews and show reviews and stuff. We are out there to promote stuff that's good. Um, and a lot of it's going to be stuff that you haven't heard of before. You know, I want that stuff to succeed. You know, like I want my own stuff to succeed. Speaking of my own stuff, uh, this month has been the month for me to uh, hammer out details on the outline for Howling Wilderness. And I'm, I'm having fun again. Uh, I've created a roster of, I haven't counted how many, uh, but these are the contestants in the Appalachian Trail Race and uh, it's been fun to come up with names and backstories for these characters and, and habits and how they're going to affect the outcome of the race. Um, giving them nicknames, giving them different mounts to ride and uh, filling out the details of my main character's backstories. Uh, the two main ones are Graveheart. I've mentioned him a little bit, but I'm, I'm being intentionally mysterious. I'm, I'm withholding details about him because the process of discovery of his story is, is just, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm having so much fun with it. And I think that's the important part. Um, 
he is not a character that you've seen before in the Engines trilogy. And then the other one is a girl named, um, her name is Mary Catherine, but she goes by Mickey. And during the outlining process for the, uh, the eight chapters that I'm doing, uh, Graveheart gives her a nickname. And I didn't intend for her to have a nickname, but when they, uh, they kind of do their team up later in the story, it's Graveheart and Stormcutter. And uh, there's, there's a good reason for that. So um, stay tuned to the Dread Pennies Adventure Hour podcast. Uh, right now, drawing-wise, I'm working on the cover art for Sheriff Porter. Uh, you know, just to have something unique for that to be the cover for the podcast serial. And then, uh, oh, excuse me. Then I'm going to make new podcast art for Dread Pennies Adventure Hour. And, uh, move ever onward and ever upward. Uh, I will never stop creating things in this universe. I've got years and years of work ahead of me, and uh, I'm glad that I get to let those stories kind of simmer in the background so that by the time I do get to them, I've got them kind of boiled down to their essence, and then from there it's just putting the details on paper. Anyway, that's my thoughts on uh, Lord of the Rings, Boba Fett, and uh, you know, finding good work going forward. Um, final note, let's see, yesterday I finished reading Four Years in the Stonewall Brigade by John Kassler. It was kind of a memoir of his time in the Civil War, like, you know, where he was when the call to arms came and Virginia asked for 75,000 enlisted men and, you know, excuse me, how he answered that call and then, you know, his time with the unit and in battle and remembering the death of Stonewall Jackson and the funeral procession that he got, uh, the details at the end with, you know, who was in the, uh, who was in the brigades and what their fates were, um, very detailed appendices, uh, came together at the end there. I, I think it was a, an interesting and a valuable account. Uh, it just goes back to an opinion that I keep having as I read Civil War histories and Civil War memoirs. It's that, you know, when this war was over, by and large, the men that fought it on the ground had respect for each other and uh, weren't, weren't interested in going back and revisiting the conflict. And, you know, he brought up an interesting point that the people who did still want to fight it out were the ones that didn't enlist when the war was going on. Um, you know, men like John Wilkes Booth, that guy had plenty of time to sign up and go actually fight the war, but the war was over and he, like a coward, went and shot a man in the back of the head while he was watching a play. So, important lessons in that. Um, you know, I, I, I respect these men the way that they respected each other. And uh, I'm just here to learn from, from what they wrote down when the thing was all over. Anyway... That's it for today. I've still got a, a cup of mate in my lap that I haven't drank because I've been driving and talking. So I'm going to pound this down and go to work. Thanks everybody for listening. Stay rad, drive safe. See you out there.